So we've been going through this series called Not What I Imagined. And uh, throughout the series, we've been kind of looking at different aspects of the Christian faith that we sometimes have an assumption on. And we have these kind of thoughts of this is what I think the Christian life is, but it's kind of different and is disconnected from what we are experiencing and what we are doing with our life or what we are expecting. So as we've been going through these various topics today, I wanted to tackle the topic about evangelism and the gospel. Evangelism and the gospel. Uh, for me, I'm not sure about you guys and what your experience with evangelism is as a Christian or your thoughts of uh, how we do it, why we do it, and, um, and as we hear in uh, the gospel of Jesus, he keeps telling us, hey, spread this word, proclaim this word to everyone that surrounds you. Uh, even though that this was this commission that Jesus gave us, growing up, I remember, and I still have these feelings today, even though I'm a pastor, that I remember growing up, evangelism really scared me. It still scares me today. Like thinking that, oh my goodness, yes, we're a church, and yes, we're called to evangelize or, or share the gospel. But whenever that topic was raised at church, or, we, uh, or the pastor would say, we have this event that's coming up, and we're going to go on the streets and do evangelism. Or we're going to send you out, guys out, and we're going to join this, um, uh, this event that is happening in downtown Toronto, and we're going to go, and we're going to be a part of this evangelism event out in the public. I remember every time those things were mentioned, for my heart, it began to say, yeah, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. I really didn't like doing that. I really didn't like taking this gospel track and learning or being trained of how to share it with other people. In fact, a few, um, a, a few years ago, um, we had this group, this family group. There's at least around six of them, and they look like one family unit. They came to the house that I'm living in today. They rang the doorbell. I, I happened to be the one that answered, and then I was surprised to see this whole family there. So five of them are in the back just uh, staring, and then only one guy was at the front who rang the doorbell, and he politely introduced himself, hi, my name is, and then he says, uh, I'm an engineer, and this is the company that I work for, but I'm not here about engineering, I'm here to tell you about the gospel. I want you to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when I heard that, I was quite surprised. Right? And I said, wow, your whole family came with you, right? And I asked them, what church are you from? And they said, oh, we're from this church that is, you know, over there. It's not in Missaga. And I said, well, what brings you to Missaga? And they said, well, our church decided we're going to be, uh, different people are going to be dropped off in different areas. And then our, our group just happened to be dropped off in this area of Missaga. And we're just going around to different houses, making sure that you've had an opportunity to hear the gospel. And so I told them, wow, I'm so impressed by your courage, and I'm so impressed by what you're doing. But I'm letting you guys know right now, I'm actually a pastor, right? So I'm good. You can go to the next house. And this person looked at me, and the way that this person responded really surprised me because I wasn't ready for his reaction. He said this, you should still listen to my presentation of the gospel because I need to make sure if you're really saved, right? And so when I heard that, I was kind of offended by the arrogant audacity that he had that somehow his version or the way that he would share the gospel would measure or determine whether I'm truly saved or not, right? And so when I, when I heard that, it just kind of like, 
reinforce why I don't like the term evangelism or the kind of like bad experience that I had growing up with it is I had so many bad experiences with street evangelists and even for myself sharing the gospel on the streets. In fact, even one time when I was in Korea, um, I was just walking, and again, you know, I'm doing pastoring in Korea. I was going up this escalator, and on my way up, there was this evangelist that was bold enough to have this big, it's not a small wooden cross, it was a big wooden cross, and he was holding it like this, and he put it right on my forehead as I came off the escalator, and he goes, believe in Jesus. So he's saying in, in Korean, but he's saying, believe in Jesus Christ. And I was like, whoa, who who in their right mind, if you're doing this, who is convinced, yes, on the spot, because you put that wooden cross on my forehead, I am not embarrassed at all, right? And I feel so welcomed and blessed by you, and I know that God loves me, that yes, on the spot, I will believe in Jesus Christ. I, I began to question those tactics um, altogether, and I began to think to myself, why do we do this? Why do we share the gospel, or why do we evangelize in this kind of way? But here's the surprising part. There are some times when I met certain people at church, I would ask them, hey, how'd you come to church or how'd you come to faith? And I'd be really surprised. Some of them actually said it was through these types of uh, evangelism interactions that they had. And it made me kind of humble my opinion a little bit, my kind of like cynicism or my skepticism that I have. Do these really work? You know, it's pressure techniques and all this kind of stuff. But I've been surprised that as some people shared, Eddie, no, I came to faith that way. This guy, when I was walking down the street and I was going through a difficult time in my life, this guy just stopped me and shared the gospel. And for whatever reason, it made sense to me that day. So for me... I'm sure that God can use any and every means that are out there, and I'm humbled how he uses these things. But at the same time, I'm sure all of us, like you've heard from my own stories, whether it's good or bad, we all have our encounters with evangelism and learning or being trained of using the gospel. So before we get any further in into this, I want to just pause for a moment so that we can, you know, just get our minds and our hearts and our minds kind of wrapped up together in this topic that we'll be covering today with this question. So I want you to turn to your neighbors who are beside you online. You can say it in the chat. But here's a question I want you guys to answer. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not interested at all, how much does evangelism, the term evangelism and the gospel, how much of that interests you between one and ten scale of one to ten be honest and then if you have time share why but i'm only going to give you guys 30 seconds so 15 seconds each all right ready go so online go put on chat here go talk to each other All right, five seconds. All right, let me embarrass some of you guys here. I'm going to ask you guys to participate raising hands. How many of you guys said 10? 10. Anyone say 10? I am so surprised. Are you guys Christian? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, in a surprising survey, so a survey was released in the United States, and in this survey, it revealed that among all the people that they surveyed, and this includes Christians, 
among all the people that they surveyed, 70% of that population of the surveyed people responded to this very question with either a one or two. That's how interested, so when you say said, people are interested in the gospel, or they're interested in hearing the gospel, no, they're not. Most people are not interested at all in hearing the gospel. And so it'd be kind of surprising to think that the kind of strategies that the church has come up with to share the gospel or to share whatever we believe the gospel is in a track form to people and 70% of people saying we are not interested in that, that we've adopted a strategy that most people are not interested in engaging with. So if we're really honest with ourselves, if those kind of terms or those kind of questions, the bigger questions in life, like what is the meaning of life, right? Or where do I go when I die? Those, even those questions when people, where people ask, in your everyday, how much does it affect you? People said, it doesn't affect me too much. In fact, I'm not thinking about this every day. What I'm thinking about every day are smaller questions, are everyday questions, like where did I put my car keys, right? Or where can I get Taylor Swift tickets for Toronto, right? Or it'd be like, does he like me back, right, after our first date together? Or how about where's our next vacation going to be? Or where we, how are we going to figure out how we support our parents? Or are there better ways to manage the kind of pain that I'm going through? You see, our life, it's made up of these smaller questions that preoccupy the majority of our time together. So let's read together from John chapter 4, verse 7 to 15, and we'll, we'll kind of see how this works. All right, so John chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 7. You're very familiar with this passage, and we go to verse, um, verse 7 to uh, 15. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw, the, uh, draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Let's pray. So, Father, as we go through this together, and we try to explore what it is about our understanding of evangelism, what it is about our understanding of the gospel that may be disconnected with our everyday life, where we know that this should be something we are more interested in, this should be something that we value more in our life, but why we're preoccupied with other questions and why those other questions, they interest us more. I pray, Father, will you open up our hearts? Will you open up our eyes so that we can really see what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my mind, Father Lord, 
so that we can address this together and we can see how we can connect those two things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that I want to go over to, uh, together is learning how we're addressing everyday questions in light of the gospel. How do we go about answering or how does our understanding of the gospel address all of these everyday smaller questions and how does it inform, direct, uh, influence these small choices that we make in our everyday life? You know, the result of this survey, it showed that our standard tools or the methods that we use to try to share this good news or what we call gospel that's supposed to be life transformative, that it may lack a certain appeal because it's disconnected with the majority of the thoughts or the interests that most people are occupied with. So when you look at the kind of different gospel tracks or whenever we come to church, we kind of feel like the church, our time at church, or trying to study the Bible, it's all about just trying to answer the bigger questions. Why does God allow suffering? I need to go into that. I have this big pain in my life. Why does God allow me to experience this kind of pain? And we try to explore that. Or why does, uh, why, what about other religions when my friends are not Christians, but they follow their God very faithfully? How do I deal with that? And those are very big questions, but they don't really or they don't necessarily occupy the majority of our everyday space. And because of this, it loses its value for us to explore. This is why when we say we need to read our Bible or we need to pray more, we sometimes we connect it so much with these bigger things, and we feel like with this bigger thing, it will change these other things in my life. But the majority of our life is always occupied with these smaller things. And our mind is always saying we got to address these smaller things, these smaller needs in our life. And the more we do that and we disconnect it from God, we feel this kind of disconnect with God. God's about the big, but these small things is what my life is all about. Let's take this woman, for example. We see this woman at the well. Later on in her engagement with Jesus, we can see that she really considers herself a believer in God. She says, no, I believe. I'm okay, right? Like, I believe in God. God is part of my life. Look at how she answers Jesus in verse 20. It says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. In effect, what she's saying to Jesus, hey, we don't need to go through this conversation about, you know, me having my thirst satisfied and all this kind of stuff because she says, I am a believer. But the problem is that your denomination is very different than my denomination. You Jews claim that we must worship God here. Us Samaritans, we believe that we need to worship God somewhere else. Right? And so that is what she states as her answer. I believe in God, and I believe that he's someone that I worship, but we have differences in how we worship this, uh, worship this God. So let's just leave it at that. That's her answer. But look at how Jesus responds to the way that she answers. What he tries to reveal as she says, no, I'm good. I do believe in God, right? And God is an important part of my life. Jesus says, wait, 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 before we make that your accurate statement. Let's dig a little bit deeper, and he tries to reveal to her the disconnect between her stated belief of, I believe in God, and God is this biggest you know, value of my life, 
with the kind of choices that she makes every day and how those choices don't reflect what she believes about God. See, in responding to her answer, Jesus tells her, a time is coming, in verse 21, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This woman, she believed that the important part of her faith was where you worship, the consistency in which you go and you believe that God is in that place. Whether for the Jews it was Jerusalem, whether for the Samaritans it was this mountain. But Jesus tells her what's important about faith is not these secondary issues like where. What's most important about your faith that you seem to be disconnected with is who are you worshiping? Dig deeper inside of your heart rather than saying this is denominational differences. This is religious preference differences, right? And that we both serve God, but we just have a difference in the way that we do it. Jesus says, no, this is not what we're talking about. It's not about the Jews versus Samaritans. It's about who are you really worshiping? Because as much as you say that you are worshiping God, is it possible that it's God that you're not really worshiping but something else? And that something else is driving the values of your everyday life. So as much as we want to say, I believe in God, and as much as I want to say, hey, I'm good, and my relationship with God is there, and I keep doing it in my everyday life, Jesus says, look a little bit deeper and ask yourself, is God really the Lord of your life, or do you have some other master? See, what he begins to point out to her is the choices of her everyday life, whether she saw it or not, it began to form within her, her belief system that was disconnected with what she stated. I know it's a lot of words and it sounds complicated, but put it this way. Her everyday choices to all these questions that she needs to answer. Where are my keys? You know, do I need to buy these tickets? Or where am I going to get these clothes? Or how do I deal with the sickness? All those everyday small questions. He says, the way that you dealt with it and the way that you keep practicing it, it develops what you really believe in. What you truly believe. Who you believe in. Or what you really believe in. See, we don't know when or how it started. But at some point in her life, as a result of all these smaller choices that she began to make in her life, she began to connect her sense of meaning, connect her sense of satisfaction with a man instead of God. That's what happened. We don't know how it started. Very subtle because in her mind she still believes in God. But what Jesus is pointing out is your everyday actions that you kept doing your pursuit of love relationships that you kept having, these choices that seem small and insignificant, it builds up in a t- over time. And as it does, w- when you don't even realize it, you have a different God or a different idol in your life. And for hers, it was feeling satisfaction or experiencing satisfaction through the intimacy of a man rather than from God. See, because this was an ongoing, developing, everyday choice, what it eventually became 
was an idol in her life that she eventually began to see could never satisfy her. She always thought, maybe it's the next man, or maybe it's the next man, or maybe now I really know what men that doesn't connect with me more, so maybe the next guy will do it. She began to see over and over again the things that she pursued in her everyday life and all these small questions that made up her daily decisions. It formed this idol. I find satisfaction or I try to find my life satisfaction through a man rather than God, even though in her head she still believed God is my God. See, Jesus, this is why Jesus tells her, and he tries to connect that disconnect for her. Look at what he says to her in verse 17 to 18. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man that you are now with is not your husband. Jesus is pointing out to her the pattern of her life. Do you not see the pattern of your life that began maybe with the first one? Yes, maybe you didn't have that idol worship of that man in your first relationship, but what happened is the more and more you began to practice this, the more and more you tried to build that up in your life and the next man and then the next man until your present sixth man that you have, can you not see how this pattern of choices that you've made in your life has created an idol for you, that that really is your God, and it's not me. See, brothers and sisters, we need to think about, like when we're thinking about all these smaller everyday choices that we make, we may, we may feel like they're not that big of a deal, right? It's, it's these small things. It doesn't affect my relationship with God. And that might be true in the early going, But if we keep this up because, for some of us, we may be experiencing a hardship that suddenly comes into our life, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a relational issue. It can be any one of these things. But once it comes into our life, sometimes those smaller questions of how we try to address it, it leads us away from God and towards a different idol to try to satisfy that need that we have in our life. See, these Everyday choices, it matters. How we make these small choices, it matters. It informs our faith. See, she was meant to find meaning in God, to find satisfaction in God. But the everyday practices that she did, it connected her with a man instead. You know, we see not only do these actions have an effect on our relationship with God, but it also has other repercussions as well. These smaller choices that she made in this this one area. For her, it was relationships. But it affected now everything else in her life, even her social dynamics, even her, um, her daily routines. So women at that time, they would go to the well or they would go to the town well to collect water during the early morning when it was cool. So they wouldn't have to walk through like desert-like heat in the middle of the day. But because of these choices that she made to go for one husband and another, she made enemies within that town, within her village. All these women were gossiping about her and looked poorly upon her. So now she knows, I don't wanna be in a place that makes me feel shame. I want to avoid spaces where I'm reminded again of how these other women don't like me and all these rumors that they're spreading about me. 
So because of that choice of trying to look for satisfaction in a man, it began to influence that area of her life. It now also changed some of the patterns that she had to get used to in terms of her social dynamics within the village and even collecting water. It affected what time she goes to collect water. She decided, I'll collect it at noon because her choice in doing that, even though it's not ideal to collect it at that time, her choice in doing that is determined by avoiding shame, avoiding other people. These small choices in her life, it points to something deeper. It's not just an insignificant thing. It's significant. Jesus keeps pointing out to her, why are you here at this time when you should be here at a different time? So when Jesus offers her living water in which she would never thirst again, Jesus says, she responds emphatic, that's what I want. I want living water, but be careful here. Now this, is, this sounds like an a great way for her to accept God or to accept what Jesus has to offer, but her emphatic desire for that, I want this living water, at this point of her life, maybe it's a little bit too soon for her to crave that because she's desiring it for the wrong reason. Is it possible if she does not address her shame, if she does not address this hardship that she's going through, is it possible that when she's saying, I want this living water, it's not because she's trying to anchor herself to the true person that gives her meaning and satisfaction in life to just simply, I just need that so I can avoid the shame. Because in order for her to truly accept living water, repentance first needs to happen a surrender, an acknowledgement of, I think I'm worshiping things or my life is driven by things that's not God, but a different idol. And to recognize that this won't solve my problem. Jesus addresses this later on in one of the other gospels in, in Matthew, where he reveals, and this is the last point that I want to make, the reason why he brings this up is because he wants us to be clear. We have a stated proclamation of what we believe, but then we have a realistic kind of, uh, a realistic truth in our life that tells us who we really worship. So we're our proclaimed one and our realistic one. And the realistic one drives how we answer those smaller questions in our life, which ultimately connect with the greater, bigger questions in our life. And this is why a lot of us sometimes feel this kind of disconnect with God, is because we feel like in those big questions, God doesn't really answer. In those little questions, God doesn't really answer because we're driven by something else. You know, Jesus says to all of us, and I'm sure it could have been applied to this woman as well, but he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. We know he was talking about money in that passage, and then at the end he says, you cannot serve both God and money. So for the person he was talking to at that point, he was saying, money has become your idol, which drives your everyday small decisions. Right? And he says, you can't serve both. Even though your stated belief is you believe in Yahweh God, but your true idol or your true God is money. And you're simply using God to help you get money. 
or to help you feel satisfied in money. God's only a part of your life as much as he helps you get that and make you feel satisfied or comfortable in your financial situation. See, he says you can't serve two. Always one will subserve under the other. And that's the temptation that most of us have in our relationship with God. Our stated belief is we believe in God, but our true idol is this. And the reason why we feel so disappointed with God so much is that God is not serving our idol properly. He's not fulfilling that. I'm putting all my eggs in this basket to bring me satisfaction, to bring me the sense of feeling satisfied or meaning in this. And if I have it, I believe I'll feel good, but God's not giving that to me. And he won't. And the reason why God doesn't is because he's then helping you serve an idol. You're putting all of your satisfaction and and desire for meaning in something that doesn't last. You know, brothers and sisters, as I was uh, working through the sermon, this last page that, that I've been working on, I just stopped. The reason why is the more and more I started to work through this, uh, through this message and the more and more I was trying to put this last part together, there's this conviction that kept coming into my heart where God kept revealing through his spirit, just revealing over and over again, here's another idol, Eddie, that you have in your life that you need to explore. And I realize some of my disappointment and this dissatisfaction that I feel in my relationship with God and sometimes the anger that I feel when I see things that are wrong and it's not happening the way or God's not doing anything about it. And these days there's been a few major areas of my life that I felt so dissatisfied with God's response. And those are the things that God keeps bringing up, that I was trying to finish this message, but there I'm just stuck on this last page. And he goes, and and what about this area? I I won't share with you what those three areas are. I don't want you guys judging me, but maybe 10 years later, when I'm a little bit more mature, a bit more secure, I'll share with you then. But there's just three major areas that God first revealed in saying, in this area, you're so dissatisfied with me because it's become your idol. And at that moment, the very first kind of response that comes out was, no, it's not. It's not my idol. Yeah, I've just been having some trouble these days on that area, but it's not my idol. But just help me out with that, right? Help fulfill some of that for me. It took so much because at that moment, here's here's the challenge that I'm presented with. Will you repent? Will you let go of it? And I knew at that moment, as soon as it's an idol, I knew it is an idol. I know it's an idol. I know it's something that I'm holding to, and I know it's a problem in my relationship with God. I know that. But even at that moment where God's saying, you got to let that go in order for you to really experience who I am, even though I know this and I know that there's so much better if I find meaning and trust in God, Rather than this thing, because over and over I experience it letting me down. Over and over I experience that it doesn't really satisfy. But even though I know this, I don't want to let it go. I'm wrestling with it. And then the next thing comes up where God says, and this too, now that we're on the topic, just so that you can handle all those repentance at once, here's the next thing. You're struggling with this, and I want you to lay that down. I'm saying, I know, but... 
and I feel myself still holding on to it. And then the third thing. Now, as I was kind of wrestling through this, this question, this verse, when it came, you can't serve two masters. So, you know, for me, I have four masters, right? So I have these three, and then I have God. And I'm using God to subserve these three masters that are in my life. And as I was kind of wrestling through this, and God says, you cannot serve, um, you cannot serve, you have to choose one or the other. The way that we choose is repentance. I can't take one more step further without repentance. That's the challenge. So then I began to ask myself, how do I repent when I don't want to do it? When I'm struggling, I just can't let go of this. And again, he brings up the verse that we already focused on today. In verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship, and get how John words this. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. He doesn't say you must worship in your flesh, in your ability, in your desires. He says the way that we connect with this, he says, is in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? How do I worship in the Spirit? Well, there's numerous um, uh, connections that God gives with Spirit and Word that we see throughout the Gospel of John. He connects, and the Word is God's Spirit. So the first avenue is I need to make sure, am I engaged with God's Word? Because if I'm not, I don't open my heart or my mind to any time where God's word through his spirit can begin to keep convicting my heart and instill in me his spirit to want to do this. Because as Paul says, my flesh is weak. I don't want to do it. And I know that I should be doing it, but that's not what I do. And that's why he says, that's why you need and you cannot neglect your time in God's word that gives you that access, that clear, tangible access to opening up your heart and your mind to God's spirit. More we ingest and we keep ingesting, keep ingesting, we keep asking God, God, through your spirit, recreate a new desire within me because right now I don't want to do it. But the less we concentrate on that and the, and the less we think that's important and the less that we engage with God's word when we're making all of these other smaller choices in our life, guess what our standard is going to be of how we make choices? It's going to be based on our idols. It's going to be based on our habits. This is why, brothers and sisters, we keep feeling disconnected with God because he's not really our God, and we're trying to use God to serve our idol or to satisfy us with that. And God is saying, don't, he doesn't say to me, Eddie, get better. He doesn't say to me, Eddie, try harder. Or Eddie, your personality, it needs to be more disciplined. No, he just says this. Spend time. Do not neglect time in my word. Let my spirit have that fighting chance to get into your heart and animate, reanimate in you a new desire.
See, this is only possible where the first step is repentance, this acknowledgement of, of saying, okay, God, they are my idols. And then the second step is reliance on God's spirit to do his work in us. And the place that we start is his word. That's the single most easiest place that we start. We pad that with Sunday worship. We pad that with, with a life group community that focuses on prayer and being in God's word. We try to pad these things and we try to reinforce these moments and these environments in our life to allow God's spirit to work in us. You'd be amazed that as busy as we are, and sometimes we neglect our life group and say, I'm so busy, I just can't make this meeting. But you'd be amazed, and I'm sure some of you already have this testimony from your past where you didn't want to go, but you still went anyways. But one person just shared some word. And it wasn't deep. It wasn't anything big or from, you know, the Bible. But they shared something that sparked or catalyzed this kind of thought that redirected your thinking. And it changed what you decided to do that day. This is why these moments are important. It helps give us environments in which God's spirit can motivate us, renew us, change us. But we first have to repent. We first have to acknowledge, yeah, I think these are my idols. And I think I'm trying to use God to fulfill my life through these idols. And the second thing is, we need to carve space. We need to guard that space to allow God's word to penetrate our hearts. You know, once the reality of this good news becomes part of our everyday, what happens is you'll notice slowly, and you don't know when it happens, but it starts happening. The way that you answer those smaller questions in your life, it begins to change. It be, it's directed by a different value, right? Rather than, I deserve this because I'm so tired. It's directed by something else that says, I need to do this because it's good. It fills me and it keeps me on track. This is gospel transformation. And when we have that and it becomes part of these everyday answers that we get in our life, evangelism and the gospel doesn't become so scary. It doesn't become so disjointed from our everyday life. And it doesn't feel so, um, uh, so distasteful to bring to other people. Because we begin to see how it matters and how it changes those smaller questions in our life. How it engages with those smaller connections and how those smaller questions, it reflects the larger question in our life is, what happens when I die? What's the meaning of my life? Brothers and sisters, I pray, may each one of us come to a place where we discover how much God really does love us, how much he wants us to be truly satisfied in him and to begin to taste and see that he really is good. And the way that he answers and leads us in those small questions of our life, it does satisfy. It's like living water. Let's pray.
Father, Lord, I thank you so much for giving us this, uh, this time and this chance, Father, to go through your word together. And at this time, Father, Lord, as we reflect, on our life and the smaller questions that direct our life. Help us to see, Father, are there idols that you, that you are bringing? Are there idols that you're revealing to us that we've been holding on to? And perhaps those being the reasons why we're experiencing this disconnect with you. And if you are bringing that into our minds, can you teach us how to repent? Can you reveal to us that desire to repent? Can you fill us, Lord, with your spirit so we can handle this correctly? So, brothers and sisters, whether you are online or on site here, I want to just give you 30 seconds. Use this time to engage with God. Repent. Lay that idol down and say, Lord, release me from this power that's on my life. Help me to move my satisfaction in these things to satisfaction in you and anchor myself to you. Brothers, let's pray together. Brothers and sisters, let's also pray that God will fill us with His Spirit. Let's make that declaration to God. God, help me to spend time in Your Word and allowing Your Word to fill me. Fill me with Your Spirit. Let that be my filling moment each day is in Your Word. Brothers and sisters, let's make that our prayer together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who is not absent, that you are a God who is here, and that you are working. I pray, Father Lord, especially in this time where some of us may be struggling in our relationship with you, may you work, may you do something in our life, Father Lord, to help catalyze and to bring that desire to reconnect with you and to humble ourselves and to repent. So I pray, Father Lord, may what we proclaim match the motivations behind the way that we answer the smaller questions in our life. Thank you, Father.
this time I'm just going to invite Songbet to come back up and we're going to re- respond together uh, with our last uh, worship song through the creed and allow those words as we declare that together connect that declaration that we make that you are God our Father you are God our Son you are God our Holy Spirit connect that let's pray Lord will you connect that with our smaller everyday things so whether you are online and for our on-site I invite you to uh, stand as we uh, respond uh, with this final worship together you 
believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. So Father, I thank you for the love that you have for each and every one of us and what you make available and everything available that we might have life and have it to the full. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen. Amen.